Well, thanks for joining us today on Two Age Sojourner. We are a podcast that promotes Kleinian Reformed theology and explores what it means to be Kleinian and Baptist, oh, and what it means to be Christian in light of the overlap of the ages. Two Age Sojourner is hosted by me, yours truly, Michael Beck, the pastor of GraceNet Community Church in Wellington, New Zealand. Catch me at www.gracenet.co.nz. And each week I'm joined on my pilgrimage with uh, these lovely co-hosts of mine. And um, sometimes we have one of them, sometimes we have none of them, sometimes we have two of them, you know. But these are, we're getting a rhythm, we're feeling it. I feel the chemistry emerging. Nick, uh, as you guys know by now, is the pastor of Grace, uh, Covenant Grace. I can't ever get his church name right, even though I gave you the you church's name. You gave us your church I know, exactly. Yeah. I should get it right. <laughs> pastor I can't wait Covenant. my church's name. That's the oh, funniest. Yeah, I know what yours is. Bethlehem, Beth, Beth, no, no. No, no, uh, <laughs> Bethel, Bethel, Bethel Charismatic no, Church. That sounds charismatic. Yeah, that's sounds... A, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bethel um, Church of the Miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Church of the Miracle. All right, Nick <laughs> is the pastor of Covenant Grace Baptist Church in Timaru, New Zealand. Uh, he's got a nice, easy web address there, www.covenantgracebaptist.church. Don't forget the .church part. Check him out. Listen to his sermons. He's awesome. Uh, Andre Beck is my brother, and uh, he pastors in uh, Bethesda. <laughs> Hold on, Mike. Hold on. But there's for, for somebody who studies church. Hebrew and the Bible, you should be able to get this. I know it's, you got so many cool. I mean, I want to go all sorts of places with that B word, you know. And it's just <laughs> Bethesda Baptist Church in Felixstowe, UK, and you can catch him at BethesdaFelixstowe.com. Is your blog still rolling, or is it? Yeah, and I'm getting a lot of hits on my blog at the moment, even though I haven't blogged on <laughs> anything for 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 a very long time. It seems like a lot of people. I can only imagine it's viewers of this podcast who are going to go see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, I haven't updated that in a while, mm-hmm. so maybe one day I'm going to get back into it. But at the moment, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. a little bit full on. All right. Well, they want to know what what he's up to, so they check it out. And uh, finally, let's just say that. The music on this podcast is Next Level Epic, written by Jeremy Casella and performed by Indelible Grace. Uh, you can listen to more of him um, wherever you want, really. Spotify, Apple Music, go check it out. Check out our website as well, 2hsojourner.com. Subscribe, all these little places on YouTube. Check us out. We're on YouTube. No one even knows that we're on YouTube. We're actually videoing all of this, so you can, you can have a look at it if you want to. Otherwise, we're on Podbean. Um, and... Uh, yeah, just subscribe, give us a rating, hashtag us, hashtag 2A. five-star rating. Yeah, just an honest one <laughs> that if you don't give five stars to, don't rate, you know? And There's no point. There's only really two settings, one star and five star. And if you have one star, then you're basically guilty of causing division in the church. Exactly. So you just want to go five star. Yeah. <laughs> five star, hashtag reformed, hashtag confessional, hashtag Kleinian, hashtag Baptist, hashtag two kingdoms, pilgrim theology, whatever you want. All right, now with that said... We are embroiled in a journey. Uh, we are moving together through this great topic of baptism. Mm. And uh, it never gets old. As Baptists, we love to talk baptism. We like to <laughs> dunk things. That's what we do. We dunk our donuts. We dunk our people. We dunk everything. And uh, But we don't dunk our communion wafers in the communion one. And we don't Say no to intention. Our, and we don't dunk our babies. <laughs> What's it that Joe Thorne says? Sip it. Don't dip it. Don't dip it. Exactly. <laughs> not, not everything needs to be dunked. Right, but some things need to be done. So let's uh, think about this. Um, 
we got, we, I think we were just basically at the last little sentimental part of this article. Or yep, so we've, uh, we've basically looked at some key biblical texts that uh, Welty says the Peter Baptist misuse. Mm-hmm. Then we gave a, a quick overview of the household baptism texts in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians. And now we're in the two final sections, part four and five. And part four is inconsistencies in infant Baptist practice. And we are looking at uh, Greg Welty's article. So a critical evaluation of Peter baptism. It's Google available it. as a PDF for free. Yeah. Google it. It's not on the show notes. No, never will be either. You'll find my name there if you want to look at that. I would say it. just click it. It's on available on the show notes. The link, you can just click it, but it's not. It's no. not on the show notes. So no, because that would involve love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All righty. Shall, All right. uh, uh, shall we look at inconsistencies in infant Baptist practice? He's got four things that he highlights, which would be uh, basically what he says is this. The Peter Baptist assumes continuity but then smuggles in discontinuity. So they claim continuity, but then as they work out their own practice, they're not really working out continuity in a consistent fashion. And uh, he says these these inconsistencies uh, reveal the weakness of their case. So inconsistency number one, he says this, the Peter Baptists look for a warrant of faith. (laughs) Those guys. Surely that's not right on this podcast. It's just a little bit of an irony. How can you do that? Isn't there a a 1689 tobacco? tobacco? There must be a 1689 tobacco. No, there's only Presbyterian tobacco. (laughs) Well, are you sure? I'm sure. There's 1689 beer bomb. bomb. Talk about an inconsistency (laughs) in our practice, right? Uh, You've got a 1689 beer bomb. Yeah. If you had 1689 cigars, it would be legit because of Spurgeon, but, you know. Don't even have that. Yeah. No, but that's a good idea, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we need to copyright that idea. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> Too late. Too late. <laughs> it's already done. <laughs> All, right. All right. Back to baptism. Yeah. All right. So first inconsistency. He says this. Uh, Peter Baptists look for a warrant of faith in the parents of those to be baptized. They appeal to Genesis 17, but actually baptize on a basis different from what is taught in Genesis 17. If you look in Genesis 17, he says a warrant of faith was not required there. Every male descendant of Abraham had the right to be circumcised, whether the parents had faith or not. And so he says that this is the Christianizing of the Old Testament. And he looks at another example, Joshua 5, verse 2 and 3, where all of Israel is circumcised in one day. They're circumcised in one day, faith aside. We're, you know, they're not asked whether the parents are believers. They're just, it's, it's a national circumcision, not a child of, of believing parents circumcision. He goes on to say that there was also no possibility of excommunication between Abraham and Moses, yet the right to circumcise would be had for every male descendant of Abraham apart from faith. <clears throat> so, Descendants from Abraham not having a believing parent was what grounded the right for circumcision in the Old Testament. And that is not what is carried through in the Peter Baptist practice. That's the first thing he raises. Hmm. So I've heard some, um, you know, in, in talking about this kind of thing, I've heard the pushback uh, to be, yes, but, you know, it, there was an assumption that everyone in Israel would have faith or did have faith. So, to talk about how um, 
uh, to, to say that, you know, faith wasn't really a factor is to miss the point that the whole of Israel as a nation was meant to be a believing nation. So faith was almost assumed, um, you know, in every Israelite. And it was, you know, it was shock and horror if you found an Israelite who didn't trust in God or wasn't a godly Israelite. So would that be... That, uh, was, the, that was the pushback I've heard. Yeah, I guess my pushback to that would be, does that mean that <clears throat> on the one hand, you know, just an external confession was all that was required for the parent <laughs> and and not actually, you know, true regeneration. Were they settling for a, just a vague national notion of belonging to God? Um, <clears throat> but it also, I think, um, doesn't quite get to the heart of where that critique is going because uh, the the whole point is that in in the new covenant, the boundary marker for who are God's people is faith. Like that's the that's the identifier. Whereas in the old covenant, that wasn't the identifier. You didn't identify people in the covenant by their faith. You identified them by their yeah. nationality, um, and and the circumcision was a sign of that. So the the it's 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 not just about. Of course, every Israelite, like in the, in in the ideal, the Israelites were meant to be believers. They're meant to be believing in the Abrahamic promise and members of the national Israel and observing the Mosaic covenant, you know, they were meant to be doing all that because they're meant to love God with all their hearts or mind strength. But it, it, that isn't really the point. The point is more about what was the official boundary marker of God's covenant people then. And what's the official boundary marker of God's covenant people now? Yeah. Mm. And by saying the word boundary marker, we're not subscribing to a new perspective on Paul, although it is language that they do use. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely not not new perspective, not not 1689 federalism, not any, any of yeah. or 1689 federal vision. Yeah, not you, federal are, you vision, are kind of 1689 federal vision. Yeah. Um, so 1689 federal vision. What? Yeah, that's you. What do you mean? It's, Me? It's you. It's your. It's your. Uh, your it's your eternal uh, gross perversion of uh, of two categories there. You're the one that came up with that. <laughs> right. That's true. No, but that was actually, yeah, yeah, it's accidental. I didn't give it the name 1689 Federalism. No, no, but you gave yeah. it the name 1689 Federal Vision. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was unintentional. I just like stayed for the record. It was unintentional. I didn't, no, no uh, connection between <laughs> Federal Visionism, six, six, 1689 Federal Vision. See, do it again. Now, it now again. look. <laughs> All right. So now what I would say about boundary that. Boundary marker. Boundary marker. Now, what I was going to say is um, I think that, you know, what you just said there is, is, is right. And, you know, one of the pushbacks I could imagine, you know, giving you or, you know, I don't know. I haven't, I can't remember if I've actually heard anyone say this, but it feels like, you know, intuitive that someone would say, well, you know, we're not saying complete continuity as in, I mean, we're not circumcising people, you know, we're baptizing people and it's not just yeah. you know it's just not, it's not just male uh, uh believers being circumcised it's rather or at least uh, children being circumcised it's females and etc so there's a difference there's an expansion there's a disc there is a, a level of discontinuity yeah i think more along the lines of what he's talking about here though is um parent and believing child 
claiming that's the continuity principle, but there's absolutely no yep. practice of that in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's Abraham and anyone who's ever descended from him, not Abraham, mm -hmm. because he's a believer, and then the first generation of children after him. Yeah. That's great. So that's that's and what he's pulling up on. That's there. what he's pulling up, and that's right because you know that's I was gonna go there anyway. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, that's what what we'd have to say to something like that. You know, that's fine to yeah. to accept that we're all sort of agreeing on some level of continuity or discontinuity. That the, the real issue becomes. You know what are the grounds for what we hold to? Yep. You know, and and so Where's it's really your scriptural warrant for yeah. believers and their children only one generation removed. Yeah. Right, you've got to have, have at least a thread that works. You know, that, that you can't just you can't just uh, say that there's some level of continuity when in fact, uh, if you actually look at it closely, and I think I think um, I think one of the things that we're seeing as a theme, and uh, I think one of the important things that people looking into this need to remember, because this is and pastorally, I mean, I, I would say this to people all the time. In that it feels like I feel the weight of the accumulative force of all these little texts at a superficial level, you know. So you look at yeah. them all quickly, you read a book on why we baptize infants, etc. Um, it, it does. You can't help it. It comes across as a as a forceful case. But it's like you just, if you look at them one at a time at a little bit closer and just start asking questions, you know, just one at a time, I feel like that that power just dissolves. Yeah. Um, and and the, the thing is, we wouldn't necessarily even be thinking that way unless there was something called pedo-baptism to begin with. So that's what makes it difficult. Like we were so programmed to look at it, you know, having this pedo-baptist argument in mind, but I think we wouldn't even worry about it, you know, and so we have to look at it um, carefully, you know, and just get ourselves out of our own context in that way and, and then piece it all together once we've had a careful look at each text. And it just, it, you know, it doesn't solve every problem, but it does make the whole accumulative thing just it makes it different. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. So, yeah. Um, cool. Good. So, uh, next inconsistency. Peter Baptists do not allow their children to the Lord's table. Mm. The Lord's Supper replacing the Passover is more apparent than baptism replacing circumcision. Yeah. That's his claim. I don't know if it's necessarily legit. legit. Yet the sign is applied inconsistently. Wait, say that bit again, Nick, the, the, <clears throat> the claim that he made. Well, he just said the Lord's Supper replacing the Passover is more apparent than baptism replacing circumcision. Okay. So he thinks it's a stronger argument where we would, because of our view that baptism and circumcision have a strong parity, it's an understandable uh, connection to see the sign replacing the sign. Right. Um, but his, his point is the sign is applied inconsistently. Yeah. No faith was required on the part of the Israelite in Exodus 12, verse 4, yet faith is required before children can partake in the New Testament. Baptists argue that their awareness of, an uh, of a discontinuity in how the signs are applied is true in both instances, not just one. So they're only applying discontinuity in one or continuity in one, where we, we're, we're consistent in how we apply it to both. Yeah, and I'm, I'm this, I like this about the Baptist position, it would annoy me. In fact, it catches me sometimes, if I'm totally honest. Like I will, um, I'll think, okay, let's do it. Let's go. Let's jump in. Let's go Peter Baptist, you know, let's do it. You know, just, just where it's happened to me a thousand times. Yes, it has. Yes, it has happened. Sorry. Sorry to uh, shock all those um, hard-shelled Baptists out there, but it has happened. Those thoughts, you know, they come. And, and what happens is I go, okay. Cool. And then, so what would happen? I'd take my kids and get them, get them christened or whatever. And then, you know, they would still not be communicant members. And I would still have to figure out when a good age is for them to become, you know, to, to do their confirmation. 
before they can take it. It's like you're in exactly the same. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, exactly. You got all these new things, and it's like exactly the same place that yeah. you left off for the thing that you. Confirmation. It's the third sacrament of the the new. Right. You know, and like, because I think it's such a big point because what, one of the things that I feel Baptists probably struggle with the most here is like, well, you know, we do feel that obviously our kids are in a Christian household. We're teaching them, as we were saying last week, um, you know, things about Christianity. They are perhaps believing at a young age and not yet baptized. You know, yeah. we want to acknowledge all of that. So I, I feel like sometimes we, we struggle, especially with like, what age do you baptize and everything. Mm-hmm. And you want to almost evade all that complication by just going, oh, maybe, maybe the Peter Baptist got it right. Let's just, let's just, you know, put some water on him and get him, get it over with, you know. But in fact, that doesn't actually solve anything because you're just, all you're doing is delaying the problem on this issue. Um, and you are having to deal with it one way or another. And yeah, so yeah. You, unless you're willing to find your cognitive rest here by just submitting to the dogma of, of tradition, you know, um, it's just not going to be helpful to you to, to, uh, to find uh, anything there. Yeah. Yeah. But even Peter Baptist, you know, the, the, you're raising your kids as part of the external covenant until they're, Right. So they're discernibly, discernibly part of the internal covenant. And in some sense, we're just doing the same thing, but without the language of external and That's internal. That's what I was saying we're last just, week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, um, but also, like, it, it's weird because this thing goes, Catholicism does the same, doesn't it? So even mm. if you go to a more sacerdotal view of baptism, you've still got in Catholicism this recognition that well, you can't just hand out the body and blood of Christ to somebody who, you know, who doesn't know anything about the faith and may mm. or may not believe it, you know. So even in Catholicism, you've got that boundary. But I think that um, Eastern Orthodoxy, as far as I know, does do pedo-communion. Right. And, 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 and the Presbyterians of like the, is it Strawbridge? And the kind of, those guys, they do <laughs> Strawbridge, yeah. He, he debated James White on this issue. Yeah. I saw that, yeah. yeah. Well, just the Federal Vision guys, I think, lo- a lot of them, not yeah. all of them, but yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, looking at that Federal level, Vision? I don't know, but he is, he is quite a... No, I, I don't know he's Peter so. Communion, but yeah, I don't yeah, know if he's... But, yeah. yeah. Um, and at least, I, 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 you know, in some sense, I think that at least then you've got a consistency that way, don't you? So, uh, you know, like I can understand why you would want to go that way. I don't understand really. It seems like... Because one of the one of the issues, I don't know if we're going to get around to talking about this at all, but uh, it seems like a big motivating factor in Peter Baptist thinking is its connection to history, right? So that you know this is mm-hmm. what the church has always done, and mm-hmm. and certainly within Anglicanism, you've got a big respect for um, you know for the traditions of the church, and you've got you, there is a, a, you know a seeking of continuity with the church. Uh, beforehand, you know, with the fathers and those sorts of traditions are, mm. are, are still respected within Anglicanism, but with this reformed emphasis as well. And so, um, you know, you, you can understand why they would have a lot of weight to it. But I think the moment you're not giving communion to your kids, the moment A, you recognize, well, the, the claim from Eastern Orthodoxy is that that was the historical way of doing it, mm-hmm. that the, you know, denying children communion was a more modern development, even in Catholicism. Mm. 
and um, and so you're you're breaking with history at, at that regardless point, significantly. Yeah. Well, this is a good point, and we I think we did make it before, but people do need to remember this because you know what it is one of the more forceful. It's maybe I'd almost want to put it in a kind of sentimental category in some ways, in that. You're just wanting, you know, there's some part of you that just wants to be part of what you know, we were talking about before we started recording. Just that wants mm-hmm. to, you know, you don't want to be the guy out. You know, you want to be part of what the church has done. You want to be in line with it, you know, and that's a good mm-hmm. thing. You want to be part of its doctrinal orthodoxy, etc., its tradition, as far as the, the Bible will allow. But, you know, if you've got this thing called solar scripture and you do want to place that uh, above tradition, you're always going to have to wrestle with it at some level. And, you know, one of the big you know, emotional appeals about this whole thing is just to go, listen, if you just baptize your kids um, and uh, infants, you know, then you're in line. Ah, breathe, you know, because you're in line with Mm. the way the church has always done it. But it's just, it's just, it's it's exactly what I was talking about earlier and that it looks good from afar. As soon as you start looking a little closer, you realize actually it's a mirage. And, and, you know, this is another good example of how it all works for me. Um, you know, yeah. so, you know, I, I feel it's like it's OK for us to acknowledge the force of the point and really see and, and even say with them, we want to be part of that as much as possible as well. Mm. But it's just not going to solve it by just going ahead. And I mean, think about what you're doing as a reformed infant Baptist. I mean, my goodness, you know, you, you are not even you are not even agreeing with others in your very small camp, you know, about what this thing means, um, let alone. You know, the, the, if, you, if you, I mean, you're certainly not in alignment with what the church has thought baptism did for the last thousand years, you know, prior to the Reformation. And then, you know, even up until that point, all sorts of crazy, you know, discrepancies in the, pra- in the practice and, and age differences. And what is the thing with, uh, is it Tertullian, the first time he references the issue? Um, is, is it? Am I right in saying it's it's to do with someone who's delaying it, to, uh, some some sort of practice? I think it was they were delaying it toward um, death at that point, or there was something that he refers to. I can't remember when the first. That's where they get that first, uh, you know, reference of infant, infant baptism. Infant baptism. Yeah, but he's against it, which is the point. Yeah, so, but he's against <clears> it for a weird he, reason. He 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 brings it up in the context of infants don't need to be baptized because they haven't sinned yet. Yes. So That's it's, it. the, it's yeah. the whole thing of inf, uh, original sin and infant salvation. Right. And so he says baptism is not necessary because that his view yeah. on, on the pollution of original sin was different to the other uh, patristics. Yes. And it starts Which is the reason it. why the Peter Baptists write him off because they'll, yeah. they'll say, well, it was because of his peculiarity and his idiosyncrasies yeah. that he rejected infant baptism. And so his opinion doesn't carry any real weight. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And then, you know, and then even though that's so different from, you know, what, what you would have at a typical reformed church, even though, okay, fine, the practice, at, you know, as you put water on an infant is aligned. But, you know, in terms of anything deeper than that, you've got not to not even to talk about this uh, stuff that we're talking about now with with pedo communion. But but, you know, and yet they'd be so eager to recognize the Roman Catholic baptism, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think of Rosaria Butterfield's story there and. And how here you have someone, I mean, she understood the concept of getting baptized, right? She was going to come out of the closet as a, as a Christian. She was going to stand there and declare to the world, you know, what, what it was to be a Christian. It was going to be her testimony and everything else. You know, it's just, I mean, think about that pastorally, how you just long for everyone to get that, you know? And she got it. She just understood it. And then she goes to her pastor and she says, well, I want to be baptized. I want to be a Christian, you know, thinking I got I to do this thing. 
and um, and he says to her, I mean, he's a good guy, no doubt, reformed dude, but but basically says to her, well, weren't you baptized already? And she's like, well, I don't know, not really. I don't doubt it. You know, and they, they, you better check your lineage, though. Go check your ancestry. You know, go 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 make sure it's all there. And she's like, oh yeah, well, actually, my my mom, you know, was Roman Catholic, super nominal, or something like that. You know, I think that's where she yeah. gets her name, Rosaria. And <laughs> um and you know and and so, but she hardly even stepped into a church and meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. And and he's like, no, that's good. You know, you need to honor your baptism. Yeah. He asked her, have you ever renounced your baptism? She said, no. Her her mother wasn't a believer. Yeah. The baptism was done in the name of the Trinity, and yeah. she hadn't renounced it. So yeah. that made it okay. You know, I mean, <clears throat> this probably isn't the time to talk about it, but it's for me, this is the shadow of the Donatist controversy right. overhanging this whole issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, Augustine was uh, arguing with the Donatists. Where the Donatists said that um, the baptism or any of the sacraments administered by a minister mm. who fell away during was it the persecution of Decimus, mm. Um, that it they had to be rebaptized because it was mm. no longer valid, and so it was uh, ex opere operantus or operanto or something. It was Decius. And, uh, Decius. Yeah. yeah, Decius. That's yeah. it. Uh, so th- there were two views on on account of the one who works or on account of the work itself. Mm. And uh, Augustine basically said, if it's a trinitarian baptism, it's on account of the work done, not on account of the worker. Mm-hmm. And so when Calvin came along and he tried to solve the issue of do we need to rebaptize Catholics who've come out of a, a heretical context, he drew on Augustine's Donatist controversy mm-hmm. and said, well, if it was Trinitarian, it's fine. But all, all Augustine's reasons at that point were terrible, mm-hmm. you know, because he, yeah. he was saying that the baptism removes the original, uh, the pollution of original sin mm-hmm. um, as his main driving force towards infant baptism. Right. So, I heard. Um, I heard. The, I, I can't remember. I saw. I think it was on Taylor Marshall thing. But I, I heard this headline of a priest recently who had to be rebaptized because their baptism was invalid or something. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's. You know, if that's. I, Did he have to I, get reordained I, as well then? Because his first. Well, I don't know. I think that's what, that's what all the fuss person. was about. I think he was still <laughs> ordained. He still was ordained into holy orders or whatever. But yeah, he had to get rebaptized. Yeah, it's about the mark that you receive in ordination is never removed. Even even if you disgrace yourself, you always bear the mark. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, all of those things are are just worth. I mean, they they're not exactly on point here, but I think they're helpful as a, as a background to these sorts of uh, discussions. And and then coming back to just the you know paedo communion issue, I mean, it is just a, a really, you know, it, there is a big question mark for me over that one. I mean, you know, why would you, I mean seriously that would weigh on me? Why are you not going to give both signs? You know, what what is the deal yeah. there? What would and I suppose the, <laughs> the the pushback is well, again, you know, you've got a sp- explicit text that says. You know, eat of the body in a worthy manner, etc., and they're unable to do that. So there we go. We've got our explicit New Testament practice. You know, but why? Why would you know? And, and I realize they say, well, you know, we don't really ask questions there. We just go with what we've been directed in. Yeah. And and yeah. you know, that's fine if you're going to buy it. But you know, it just it seems that you know why would Paul say that for the one and not the other? Just yeah. come on. And, he, and you know, we would argue he did say it for the other. So you exactly. know, actually, I've always thought that actually the best Peter Baptist argument i've heard is you know i said some what you know like why you know exactly do you and he's like look children are an, are an anomaly we don't really know exactly how they fit into things they're kind of not totally pagan but they're, they're kind of not totally uh totally christian they're, they're just kind of an in between <coughs> thing and so i don't really understand it but i'm going to go with the tradition on this and just give them the water but i'm not going to give them the lord's supper 
And in one sense, like it's so unsatisfying because there's no explanation, there's no reason. But in another sense, I feel like that's about as honest an answer as yeah. you can give. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. All righty, we ready for the next one? Good. Mm-hmm. All right, third inconsistency. Peter Baptists do not baptize whole households. Spouses, adult children, servants along with the head of the household are not baptized. These would be seen as cultural issues of the New Testament times, and now, if practiced, would be coerced baptisms. Um, so there's an inconsistency in Peter Baptist practice in this regard. Mm. Again, this would Greg Strawbridge would be, and his crew would be the exception. Yeah, they would um, say, let's follow through. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, although Klein, I don't know if he says it explicitly, but his whole um, theology allows for this sort of thing and um, almost, you know, if not explicitly encouraging it, you know, basically encouraging it. Yeah. And, and the idea there being, you know, you're just simply <clears throat> sanctifying everything, you know, to the Lord in your household. That's what it stands for. That's what you should do. Um, and so, yeah, interesting. But, you know, so even if they follow through, though, you know, I mean, can you imagine? It's just, it's not, look, the picture starts looking very different very quickly, you know. So one, one, um, one criticism of, not a criticism, but one, one response to the Baptist criticism of this inconsistency mm-hmm. uh, that I've heard is from someone who worked as a missionary and said, this is a very Western way of thinking about things. So if you go and do mission around the world, Nick, you, you've done this. And, um, you know, and someone like, you know, if the father of the house becomes a Christian, their impulse is to bring the whole family in. Mm-hmm. because they're just not thinking about it from a, each individual person has the right to choose for themselves kind of thing, which is tends to be the Western way of thinking about things. And so their, their thing was, look, you don't even have to explain this to someone out in the majority world. If the father becomes a Christian, their home is going to become a Christian home. Um, and, and I just thought that was actually, uh, it's a good criticism to hear because it raises the question whether or not we're viewing things from the lens of uh, a modern Western uh, viewpoint. So I thought mm-hmm. I'd throw that one out there. Yeah, well, um, what's interesting there is uh, Adoniram Judson, when he was on his way to the mission field, this was the very question that drove him to reevaluate baptism. Mm, interesting. <clears throat> so he was wrestling with, well, what do I do? Let's say the chief converts. Mm, right. Would right. that oblige me to to do the whole tribe if he considers the whole tribe his, his household? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, where's the boundaries of household, culturally speaking? Yeah. And so he, he re-wrestled with the issue, and he came away saying, no, believers baptism. Um, so that's mm. just a pushback to the missionary who says, well, missionaries will see it differently. Here was a guy who was a missionary, and going to the scriptures, he decided to allow the Bible, not culture, to determine the issue. Yeah, I think that's what it basically comes down to. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you don't do that, I mean, really, uh, you know, one step, two step, and you're on to Christendom again, you know, in that (laughs) Mm, basically, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, cool. So we've got Caesar, he becomes a Christian, and bada-bing, bada-boom, you know, you've got a a Christendom, you know, just everyone, everyone gets dunked, everyone gets sprinkled, whatever it is, because we're all now officially Christian. But um, I think think the whole... um, the whole thing there as well is it's just, I mean, if you think about any missionary situation or even, you don't really even have to go too far for this, but, but, you know, if someone just becomes a Christian and then just assumes something, that's never a good thing. Usually, you know, usually yeah. it's like, well, you know, I'll just bring my other gods with me. 
you know, that's fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, whatever else. I, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep on, you know, marrying other wives or whatever it is. You know, there, there are a ton of things uh, that people assume. And, you know, like I say, you know, that's that's using those those kinds of examples. But you really, you, you don't really have to go too far to, to figure out how much you assume wrong. And so, yeah. you know, it, just because someone assumes that that, I'm a Christian, therefore my family should be dunked or, or, or sprinkled. I mean, you know, that, that, that does nothing for me. Just uh, as you spoke about uh, Christendom, um, you know the, the way that Peter Baptist read the Great Commission? You know, yep. take the gospel to all nations, baptizing them, then teaching them? Right. And they would say that order is very important. Yes. I was just reading Adoniram Judson's book on baptism recently. He said, well, nations is another word in there that you have to take seriously. So your choices are actually between Christendom mm -hmm. and national baptisms, mm -hmm. or believers' baptism. Yes, not between Peter baptism and creed, but not not between Reformed Presbyterian family <laughs> believers and their children baptisms, but yeah. national baptisms yeah. or believers' baptisms. Yeah, yeah, that's I interesting. Agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, if you want to take that line of argument, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Kevin DeYoung took it in one of his books. That's ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's an old argument, but I, I thought Adam Judson did well to pull it up by the roots. Mm, mm. That's good. All right. I mean, I do think the the where that order, you know, it's not necessarily that you you need to go Peter Baptist, but coming um, to the church and be mean, discipled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, um, yeah, the church, even when it was even when it was baptizing infants, it had this thing where you had to go through like two years of catechism before you get baptized. Mm. And I think that's not right. You know, I think that's yeah. you shouldn't have. To, you should there should be a, a kind of an explore, an exploration of the person's claim to faith you just need something enough to establish a credible confession of faith yeah um, you don't need to have all the i's dotted and all the t's crossed and the whole christian systematic theology in place in order to be baptized and i think that you know so that does apply that order is still relevant it doesn't mean baptized infants it just means it just means, you know, baptism is baptism into the, the, the discipleship of learning everything Christ is. Yeah, I mean, you just see it play out in Acts, you know. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Mm. basically means plant churches. And, yeah. you know, they just plant, plant churches and start teaching and, and that's how you make disciples. You know, yeah. keep going. That's how the word increases. So, yeah, uh, you don't have to make it walk on all fours at that level. Cool. So, false practice. He says, uh, Peter Baptists do not practice the halfway covenant. Yeah. Who wants to give an explanation of the halfway covenant? Oh, man. Mm. All right, here we go. Uh, the halfway covenant oh. is when your children's children, uh, how does it work again? <laughs> your, yep, Ch yeah. grandchildren, yeah. So what happens to them, right? Yeah. If, so it's so, one thing So let's for, say, I mean, uh, it was uh, Stoddard, uh, Jonathan Edwards' yes, father-in-law. Yeah. He was the one who was pushing this sort of notion, and uh, Stoddard encountered this issue in the American churches where you had – First-generation believers, second-generation unknowns mm. who had been baptized into the church, and then so probably not believers. So mm. Stoddard was was you know he was he wanted people to be born again, mm. but he wasn't convinced they were. And then they had kids. Do you bring these kids in on the basis of a maybe faith of the parents or on the definite faith of the first-generation Christian? Mm. There's a halfway covenant by mm. which they're in. Interesting. And wasn't this whole thing like in part motivated by a lack of people attending or something like that? There was some, I mean, it's been a while since I've, since I've read yeah. this and the Jonathan Edwards thing, but the, 
Yeah, wasn't there some, there was some, like the reason why this became such a big problem for Jonathan Edwards was because it was associated with attendance and money and... Mm. And um, the Lord's Supper. So he was saying, yes, you know, that's that's it. It. So yeah. you've got these children who, who knows where everyone stands and now everyone's just coming to the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he like wants to apply discipline to the table. The, yeah, I mean, oh my goodness, wow. As he says here, it's not it's not an abstract point of speculation. It's a deep practical crisis, you know, because you, you've got to deal with it. Um, and he says, uh, if, and here's a, here's a succinct way to state the whole issue, uh, if the children of covenant members are also in the covenant, then are the children of these covenant members also in the covenant? Yeah. You know, that's just, that's a helpful way to put it. Um, if God has granted the children... Um, and grandchildren um, of believers. No, no, that is, if God has children, that those are the believers, and grandchildren, believers' children, why yeah. may he not have great-grandchildren, believers' yeah. children's Third children? Third and fourth generation, yeah. or even to the thousandth generation. I mean, yeah, and, and there you've got the continuity issue again, right? Because I, I mean, that's even is, biblical, isn't it? Thousandth <laughs> generation? Exactly. Sounds, <clears throat> sounds charismatic. Sounds like uh, we're breaking some curses, breaking <laughs> exactly. blessings and curses. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that um, because Edwards took a stand against all of this, um, a lot of the Scottish guys, uh, he, he revamped things a little bit. He ended up being a functional Baptist in some ways, yeah. I think, because, you know, he was asking for the, almost, he, he would go, you know, it almost became a, a begrudging um, baptism mm-hmm. of infants and then really treat them as unbelievers, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he was, he loved Baptist type ecclesiology on that point. But then yeah. when they fired him, he wanted Presbyterian intervention. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was congregational on the one hand and yet yeah. Uh, yeah. wanted Presbyterian intervention. I need a court that will plea my case so that my church can't fire me. Totally, yeah. <laughs> but um, just yeah. uh, what was it that, that came to mind there? Oh, yes. So uh, in the Presbyterian churches where they have the Lord's Supper maybe once a year, Elder interviews in order that you can be given a ticket to come to the table became very important because, yeah, sure, maybe people had been baptized in and weren't believers. Whereas if you've done all your interviewing process in order to be baptized and brought into membership as regenerate believers, a lot of that groundwork is done. And so you can have a lot more liberty by allowing believers to judge themselves worthy in terms of their participation and all that other stuff. Mm, mm. Just There's other ramifications down the road. Uh, on that front, I suppose that leads us well into sentimentalism examined. Hey, the final part. What do you think? Definitely, yeah. These are funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these are the arguments that are not biblical. These are the arguments that when you speak to someone who's not a pastor, maybe just a mom or a grandparent, and they just blurt out their uh, Peter Baptist theology, it comes out sounding something like, firstly. Are you saying my covenant children aren't special? Man, but you said that. I've, I mean, this has been one of the major, <clears throat> major deals yeah. I've had to face, you know. Um, what are you Greg saying about Strawbridge my kids? makes this point. Yeah, yeah, I think he does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he made the point about James White's kids, <laughs> <laughs> which was a mistake. <laughs> Classic. All right. um, but yeah, the, um, uh, it, yeah, it is that. But also, like, I don't, I don't know if this is, I don't know, just shut me down if this is coming up later, but it's, it's sort of a more perhaps um, heartfelt version of the argument is when you have people who've had to deal with miscarriages 
and yes, yes, and have dealt with stillbirths and things like that, and yeah. The, yeah. and the the pastoral comfort that they've drawn from, yeah, knowing that their children are covenant children, yeah, yeah and, absolutely, and you know, so um, the kind of special thing on the one hand might be a bit kind of more like the mama's pride in their little kid, yeah. but the, yeah. um, but we're really kind of, oh, yeah. I don't know if he if he raises this point, but that's no, totally. a big pastoral and, and serious, serious theologians have raised, raised that point as well. You know, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, you know, the, where's your pastoral comfort? But, but for me, I mean, just a, I, I feel like if you give pastoral comfort on that point, you you prove way too much that you you, you can't ever defend what you've just mm. comforted someone with. You know, um, yeah. I mean, are you really saying that that baptism has saved them? Then, or you know, mm. well, what are you saying? Um, and uh, you know, so it yeah. seems like a bit of a double edge there. Yeah, if the parent ever doubts their own salvation, do they also doubt the salvation of their infant that died in infancy? Wow, there we go. Because <clears throat> isn't yeah. their salvation dependent on my salvation? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard someone, um, you know, a evangelical Anglican who was asked in a in a kind of he was giving an evangelistic talk on the gospel, and then the question and answer afterwards. He was asked about, you know, what happens to children. And he said, well, I can say with absolute certainty, children of believers will go to heaven. Calvin's. You know, mm. and, and then I said, well, uh, and, but obviously she was asking from the position of, an, of a non-Christian mm. and of a non-Christian who oh. had suffered the loss of children. Oh. And so yeah. it became a brutal, oh. Um, oh. A brutal yeah. situation. Oh. And so I think... I think there is that as well. It's not just the pastoral thing of believers, so that's nice. But if you're saying that, you are also saying something else mm. that I think we don't always mean to say about the children of unbelievers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, and and what if uh, you know the the tragedy happened prior to your conversion? Yeah, you know, and then you became a believer, and then what about your child? You know, like yeah. does that, that? I mean, it's just, and would that stop you then from accepting Christianity? Because that doesn't put if that were true, then my kid's in hell. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, can you imagine? That's, that's you know. Yeah, yeah and so as, as Walty says, I mean, I think it's far better just to kind of deal with <laughs> I love the way he writes it, though. I mean, I don't know if I've ever responded this way, but he goes, Baptists rightly respond with the words of Paul, just as it is written. Jacob I loved, <laughs> but Esau I hated. <laughs> yeah. so I, I wouldn't he, respond he, like that. <laughs> but but he, does, he does say that to say. Yeah. The only certainty any of us have yes. of God's love is not assuming our incorporation into an external covenant, but by faith when we respond positively to the gospel. Totally. I mean, you've just got to deal with the gospel. I think this is the reality. You know, like God mm-hmm. saves and it, it happens. It does. You know, you can't you can't you know, rig yeah. that somehow or just. And you've just got to trust. You know, and yeah. And, and yeah. And then but the I fact think that so, yeah. yeah. Carry on. No, I, I think situations like this do. Um, also uh, help us to just be a little bit careful not to make idols out of sacraments as well. Mm, because, mm. you know, the, so a conversation with a Lutheran friend that I had was basically, well, when your kid doubts their salvation, you point them to their baptism, their baptism. Mm. Just, no, you know, trust in your baptism. And, and I think that at that point you're, you're coming very, very close to, to basically replacing trust in Christ mm. with trust in baptism. And when it comes down to the pastoral issue of, 
of, well, first of all, there, there is no guarantee of salvation because of the external covenant. Most, you know, that, as far as I know, that's what Peter Baptist would exactly. agree to. Exactly. Yeah. But, but second of all, it's, it's diverting confidence from where it should be, which is in God himself. So yeah. surely the, the best defense or the best explanation of what happens to children when they die is will not the judge of the earth do Amen. what is right? Yeah. You know, any desire that you have for justice or mercy or compassion, mm. surely there's no better place than God to find justice, mercy, and compassion. Right. So, Right, and look, the 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 predominant Baptist view is that all infants dying in infancy are elect by the grace of God. Mm. That's that's the predominant view. There are some people who would say, well, we just don't know, but we trust in God's character, like you say. But uh, the predominant view has been a much more positive and less agnostic perspective. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think those are good points, and certainly it it doesn't. Um... Yeah, I think it's it's a good one to raise. I mean, I know it's it's packaged here in the sentimentalism category, but it, it actually is one of the more serious ones, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cool. Second one. Are you saying that God won't hear the prayers of my four-year-old? Are they believers? Mm-hmm. Have they professed faith? <laughs> that would be my first question. Well, I mean, it's first a theological question. Does God not hear any prayer? What does yeah. he, what, what do we mean by not hear? Mm-hmm. Do we mean not in good relationship or that his omniscience is not able to comprehend? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we saying at that point? Mm-hmm. Right. What's the nature of the question? Right. Yeah. So I think probably yeah, because anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. yeah. So there is a sense in which you have to see that as obviously a non-Christian calls on the Lord to be saved. So I, I don't, I, yeah, you'd have to explore more what they meant. Well, firstly, I mean, if, if a kid, you know, profess to, you know, I've like, you know, to put it under the principle of charity or I don't know, whatever. So if there is this some basic thing going on where the, where the four-year-old child is saying, I love Jesus and I'm praying to him, you know, uh, I'm, that's fine. Why, why do you have to worry about that? I, and I think probably the, only, yeah. the issue only becomes something when, um, you know, you're dealing with an obviously you know, explicitly unbelieving child, maybe a pagan household or that sort of thing. Um, you know, and then, and then what happens? Yeah. And then I think we're back to your, your um, question there, Nick, or, or just, um, you know, just, just further theological examination as to what happens at that point. Yeah. Here's the way I would put it. The warrant of prayer is universal. Romans one, everyone is obligated to give thanks to God, but confidence that our prayers are being heard can only be had when we come in Christ through the mediator that God has appointed. And that applies to children, it applies to adults, it applies to any prayer. Everyone ought to worship God. Mm. Everyone ought to pray. Everyone ought to give thanks. Mm. But that doesn't guarantee that apart from Christ, those prayers are pleasing to God or are acceptable. And so children don't get a pass just because they are perceived to be part of an external covenant. Um, And they don't have the right to call upon God as father Mm. in the way in which we are adopted in Christ. Yeah, that's good. So we we can't kid our kids in that way. No. We have to teach, we teach our children the Lord's Prayer, but we teach them that they can only mean this word father if Mm. they have trusted in Christ and they have been given the right Mm. to become a child of God by virtue of believing upon Christ. Yeah, and it's similar to what we were saying earlier in that it, it kind of, you know, if you're not willing to admit that at some level, you are proving way too much by this 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 thought, this argument. It's not even really an argument, but you're saying, no, no, because my kids have been baptized, they can pray and be heard in the salvific sense. You know, in every way that we would talk about a believer being heard. Then you're not saying that there's just an external 
thing that they've been baptized into, then you've gone full scale, you know. My, my yeah. pushback would be this. Is there another way to have a relationship with God outside of Christ? Everyone's in if relationship there is, with God. Then, then aren't you just denying the gospel on the basis of the sentimental notion that you want your kids to have some special access yeah. that oh, other right. people don't get outside yeah. of Christ? Yeah, yeah. Saving I mean, isn't it, yeah. Is it, yeah, isn't it? I mean, the, again, the heart there is, the, the heart there is to know that it's one some assurance that uh, God responds to my children the way that I believe he responds to me. Mm. Yeah. You know, you want for your children what you have, mm. uh, wh what you've been given, mm. you know. And I think that's a good desire and a right desire. It's just about, and, and, it, 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 and again, the, 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 even the pedo-baptists who believes their children part of an external covenant aren't going to be satisfied until they see right. that that child is responding in repentance and faith. Yeah. And so I think the, um, again, it's just, it's just whatever, whatever kind of lines of assurance we, you might draw from the external covenant, just nobody's, nobody's going to be satisfied. You're certainly not going to teach your kids. Hey, it's, you know, God will hear you in every way he's going to hear you by the fact that you have been baptized, you know, yeah. and, and that's the reason he'll hear you. And don't worry about <laughs> anything else. You're good. You know, exactly. I mean, obviously well, no one's ever going to teach that. So it's, it's just when I was in Bible apart. college and I was uh, having these arguments with my lecturers who were all Peter Baptists, a guy asked me, do you, will you teach your child the Lord's prayer? My child was two years old. I'm like, of course I will. <clears throat> So what gives your child the right to call God Father? And I said, well, no right apart from Christ. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what I teach like, them as I teach them to pray. Yeah. Also, so many Lord... people will say these words and they won't mean them. Many mm. people will say yeah. these words thinking they're in a right, right relationship with God. The only way we can say these words with the confidence that God hears us and is related to us as Father is if we yeah. see that we're sinners and Christ is my only hope to be cleansed. I mean, you're teaching them exactly the way you would teach everyone on a Sunday, every Sunday of your life. You know, you, yeah. you have to teach the, both of those angles, exactly what you just said. And if you don't, think about what happens if you don't. If you just say, mm. doesn't matter, doesn't matter, just say the words, you know, you're good. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's crazy. <laughs> Formalism, you know? yeah. yes. So we don't want to yeah. go there. Um, yeah. <coughs> or you go down some weird hyper-Calvinist thing where you're like having to find out if everyone is absolutely a, a Christian before you even give them access to aspects of Christian teaching. Like it's yeah, some you have weird to version. See, they're in they're uh, invisible. Yeah, election. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally. All right. Next All one. Right. <coughs> Thirdly. How dare you Baptists separate the children <coughs> from their parents? Is my pipe smoke affecting community? you? <laughs> Secondary smoke. There was Presbyterian it's my, uh, tobacco. So. It's my scented, it's my scented candle. That's uh, oh goodness! Uh, oh my goodness! Serves you right. Yeah, just Anglicans right. are wrong. Just stay away from the candles. <laughs> <laughs> Trying out my hipster backdrop. It's uh, getting back on me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How dare you Baptists separate the children from their parents in the covenant community? How can you be so cruel as to separate families? I mean, separating this is crazy. Kids it's from such their a crazy, crazy argument. I mean, yeah, I've heard this one as well. I mean, you know, like like Jesus, right? I've come to bring a sword. Uh, you know, who is my mother? Who is my brother? You know, I mean, you've got yeah. like all of that stuff. How yeah. could you say that? I don't even know how you could utter those words in light of what, you know, all of that has stood yeah. for. How could we say now yeah, that... I will turn father against their but, sons. Uh, and Yeah. Wealthy has... A, a great point. Husbands and wives who are more significantly one flesh are yeah, separated. One are. believes and one does not. 
Dude, seriously. Yeah. There we go. Enough said. Yeah. But also like, but, but the slight, the slight uh, accusatory tone of that <clears throat> is that we're trying to create a separation that doesn't exist. And, and we're not, we're not, it's not like we're saying children have to sit away from their parents on Sunday mornings. Or, right. You know exactly. what I mean? Like you're, yeah. you're still you should learning. not have you're, Sunday school during service. Yeah. Or I wouldn't say that, but the, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> separating families. Don't do it. Anyway, so the, um, the <laughs> we're still saying that the children are going to learn the gospel first and foremost from their parents, yep. you know, and yep. it's we're that, affirming it's their family model. Parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's not like there's a separation at that level, but yeah, if they don't believe, then he's, <laughs> you know, again, but again, this is, isn't a substantial enough accusation because even the Peter Baptist is going to make this distinction if mm. it comes down. Mm. down to it you know mm. if the exactly. parents end yeah. up rejecting the faith they're still going to make that distinction mm. they're just going to do it later mm. um well that's the, i don't even know if that's true like they're still making that distinction they're just because there's an external internal covenant thing so well like, even with um how dare you separate your kids from the lord's table yeah i was going to say bring yeah. the you lord's know? table yeah. and you're making a separation i mean it's like, why can't your kids be communicant members you know what are you what are yeah. you doing there so anyway um but you could take that down to any level. So you could say, well, how dare you leave your kids in the external covenant and not bring them right. into the well, internal Right, well, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. And, and this right. last one, this last one is like, oh, it's the most <laughs> frustrating, isn't it? It's just absolutely frustrating to hear this. This is the worst one. And I've heard Horton and, you know, like the White House Inn have a rail on this one. And it's just ridiculous. It's, it's, it's rightly put in the sentimental category. But my goodness, people take it seriously. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. All right, there we go. Rent over. Go for it. Is my child not being part of the covenant good news? Yeah. So they're like, so this is how it's often stated. So like Jews come along stated and, in the and then they're hearing, they're hearing, uh, you know, Peter proclaiming the gospel. They're expecting that their whole families are being brought in. And then they, uh, oh no, it's just for those people who repent. You know, so imagine if they understood Peter that way. It, was that, is that the greater of the new covenant? Is this the, the good news? That's bad news. You know, now I, my, my, my kids were in the covenant. Now they're not, you know, and, um, and we're just well, like, dude, I mean, you, what? Know what my, you know what my pushback is? What? Define good news. But exactly. Is the good news that your kids get to be in a typological <laughs> external, basically, <laughs> you know, judged community? Or is it like, uh, you yeah. know, is a little bit exactly. more than that. Yeah. The gospel is... Faith in Christ and you will be saved. Not if your parents believe you'll be part of the external covenant. Totally. So the lesser, the greater thing has been taken in a completely wrong direction there. And it's not at all. Does this come back to the whole Abraham thing? Like this promise is for you and your children. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So they're going, you know, this is what they're waiting for. This is going to, you know, they they already had that, you know, at some Mm -hmm. level is what they're saying. And then, and then we come along as Baptists and go, no, you don't have that anymore. Now it's just for you. And they go, that's not. Lesser to the greater, that's greater to the lesser. We would say that uh, the promise in Acts 2 is the promise of the Spirit at Pentecost, not the promise of Abraham being referenced. So it's, and yes, it's very good news that if your child believes, they too will receive the Holy Spirit. It's great news. Spirit's now being poured out on all flesh. I mean, it's just total category confusion. You know, it reminds me of of like what people say, um, you know, like the covenant of works uh, angle, you know, when you get to the Mosaic covenant, often the kickback there is, well, you know, God saved um, Israel 
from the, you know, the Exodus was a salvation. He redeemed his people. How then can they go into a covenant of works? And, and you know, what I want to say at that point is like, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, th- there was mm. a picture that happened there, you know, of yeah. salvation. But, you know, that wasn't regeneration. Yeah. That was the picture, right? All you those know? people died in the wilderness from unbelief. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to mm. miss yeah, the exactly. glory. Of, <laughs> yeah. And it is like it, to, 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 to just ignore that point is to miss the actual substance. It's really just to say that the shadow and the substance is the same. So to mm. say, you know, obviously we're saying the shadow involved a physical lineage. To, to say, well, what do you mean? Mm. Are we not bringing the scaffolding in now? You know, it's, that's bad news. I mean, that's, that's legitimately that's the to good news. shadow and substance. Yeah, we're, we're leaving that stupid yeah. scaffolding behind, you know? Yeah, no we're, more we're, we're going into the thing now. Yeah, so exactly. That's, that's I think, why this gets When to your me. children actually get in, they will stay in. That's the good news. And, you know, they'll actually love the Lord. Imagine that. Amen. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, amen. Yeah, good. And then summary and conclusion. Here's the gist of what he says. And he just sums up saying, Peter Baptists have a major hermeneutical flaw in Judaizing the New Testament and Christianizing the Old. This leads to, and this is relisting his main points, overlooking significant discontinuities in the meaning and function of the Old Testament signs, misusing key texts, creating inconsistencies, and degrades into sentimentalism. He says, the church is Israel come of age. Therefore, let us not deliberately include those who give no evidence of salvation. Thank you, Walty. Mic drop. Boom. Boom. All right. Let's leave it at that. That's Walty. A lot more to say about baptism. And uh, we'll keep this conversation going. Uh, We'll bring some extra stuff in and some cool. Fesco next? What do you think? I'm up for it. Fesco or do it. We'll, we'll, We'll play around with that this week. And um, jump in for some more. So hopefully, what fes- what fesco are you talking about? Is uh, water word and spirit. Water word and spirit. It's about yeah. ten years old, but it's like seems the- like a type of benchmark. And it's probably, I would say, the best thing out there at the moment. Arguing, it's the closest thing that you know that I've ever seen to. Yeah, and it's super weak. <laughs> oh, Just guess- everything I read in it. <laughs> At least, at least we're putting people out of the suspense factor, you know. Yeah. I'll save that for next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I actually think it's a strong argument on many grounds. So I'll, I'll well, play I'm just looking at his historical work and I'm going, uh-uh. Because okay. what he does is he uses all the historical stuff to say mode doesn't matter. Okay. Or all three modes are legit. And uh, that's, playing, that's playing fast that. and loose. I believe that. Yeah. That's me. You're playing fast and loose, too. It's going to be interesting, guys. Come back. Come back and listen to this. Um, All right. Cool. Let's play out. Thank you. You ready? Cheers.